Hello and welcome to Oklahoma Ghost Stories and Other Phenomenon. I'm your host, Brad Heath, and boy, do we have a good show for you tonight. Mindy Topfest will join us. Mindy is with the MUFON uh, representative in, here in Oklahoma. Of course, MUFON, very well known, uh, Mutual UFO Network. They are very active here in Oklahoma, and Mindy will bring us up to speed on UFO activity in Oklahoma, and we'll discuss other topics such as cattle mutilations, UFO sightings, possible abductions, and other potential uh, connections between the paranormal and UFOs. But before we jump into the show tonight, let me dive into tonight's sponsor, the Military History Center and Museum in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. The museum features artifacts from as early as the American Revolutionary War to modern-day wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. You'll find displays on the Civil War, World War I and II, Korea, Vietnam, and Desert Storm. The model halls are always a highlight, and the Native Americans in the military display does not disappoint. Find them on Facebook at Military History Center, or give them a call, 918-794-2712. They are located in the Rose District in downtown Broken Arrow. It's a great day trip if you're looking for something to do during this uh, holiday break, and you can take a walk through history at the Military History Center and Museum and Broken Arrow. If you'd like your business to sponsor an episode of Oklahoma Ghost Stories, you can message us on Facebook and we'll certainly help you promote your business. And be sure to like our podcast here on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcast, uh, Breaker, and other uh, known places to find podcasts all over the internet. Now, let's dive into tonight's episode. Mindy from MUFON is here. I'm so excited to have this conversation tonight. We've had a couple of conversations already. And I'm so looking forward to this. But first, Mindy, tell me how you first got involved with MUFON. Well, hey, Brad. First off, let me tell you, thank you for having me on here tonight. Um, I know we had some hiccups trying to get started and everything, but I am so happy to be on here with you and and uh, to get this going. So how I got started in MUFON, good night. It's uh, quite a convoluted history of how I got to here. Um, I actually started... Uh, Let's go back to childhood. <laughs> Whenever I was eight <laughs> years old, we moved into a new home and it was already haunted by what's known as a shadow person. And the one that was in our home was actually what's known as a hat man, where he has the tall hat and the cape and all of that going on. And they're kind of the more evil of the, the shadow people. And this guy, he, he tormented me through most of my childhood and teens. And, um, there in the house, we had all kinds of paranormal, you know, like poltergeist-like activity where things were being moved in the house and we'd hear bangs from other rooms. We'd hear our voices called. It would mimic family members' voices, uh, which is pretty darn creepy. Um, <laughs> it would also um, make electronics malfunction. I had alarm clocks go off that were not plugged in or anything like that. And so anyways, this... Um, really spurred my my interest in the paranormal. And so in the in my 20s, I joined a ghost hunting team here in Oklahoma City called Ghoulie, which stood for Ghost Haunts of Oklahoma and Urban Legend Investigation. And it was started by Tanya Hacker. And it was actually one of the first um, groups here in Oklahoma City. It was very successful. She ran all kinds of tours through downtown. And we worked in conjunction with Erie Enid, which was uh, Tammy Wilson's team up in Enid. And we also worked some uh, with a team out in Tulsa. And so I, I 
had that opportunity to really delve into the paranormal in my 20s. And then I ended up getting married and having kids. <laughs> and so the paranormal kind of took a back seat at that time. And I still had some kind of activity going on minimally. I would still have some ghost visits and whatnot, you know. And um, so I, I kind of just put it to the side. And then in 2016, I had a what's known as a vertebral artery dissection. And what that is, is kind of like a cross between a stroke and a, a brain aneurysm. And as a result of that, I had a near-death experience, which we spoke about a little bit before. And I didn't end up going to heaven like I thought I would. <laughs> Instead, I ended up going to a place that some called the void. And it was kind of like I was outside of time and space. And um, I, I just kind of existed there as pure consciousness. It was really a profound and life-changing experience. Wow. And so whenever I came back, um, I got healed up, took a couple of years. And my husband surprised me with a trip to Roswell because he knew I loved alien stuff. And I really had always wanted to go. And so it was one of those, well we don't know how long you're going to be here. Let's pack up and, and do it while we have time. So we went out there and had a great time. We took the kids. They loved it. We got to talk to you know, a lot of people in the field. And on the way home, I looked up MUFON. I was like, I wonder if MUFON's active in Oklahoma. <laughs> you know, if I could do anything with this. And sure enough, they, they have a, a, a chapter in each state, but Oklahoma was underrepresented. And so I got together with headquarters and said, okay, well, let's do this. How do I start up a, a team here in Oklahoma? And so they walked me through getting um, certified as a field investigator. And then within that first year, I was promoted to the state director. And here I am today. Uh, well, that's, that's, a, that's, a great, that's, a, that's a great story. There's a lot to digest there. Yeah. And I, <laughs> and I was going to save some of this for later, but... You know, you dove right in, and I love that fact about you because we've had a couple of conversations, like you said, and and you just jump in with uh, both feet. So, <laughs> once you became state director, then then what happens? Do you do you start forming teams and making connections all over the state? Okay, so whenever I came on, there were actually two field investigators already active here in the state, but both of them, neither one had an interest in taking the reins as in any kind of leadership role. And um, one's been with MUFON for 12 years and he's a doctor. He has his Juris Doctorate and he's a very busy fellow. And so he does about one case a month and he's happy with that. And, you know, he doesn't really want to be in any kind of leadership. And the other, he's up in his 70s. He's a, a army veteran and he also just doesn't really want to take any kind of leadership role. And so they were both very supportive of me stepping into that role and, since then, you know, we've just done some outreach. We have the Facebook page up and going. And and I actually get phone calls quite often from people wanting to be field investigators. But so far, we've only had one that actually has followed through. So including myself now, we have four field investigators for the state of Oklahoma. And this last year, between us, we investigated over 70 cases. <laughs> so wow. we stay pretty busy. Yeah. And so when someone contacts you and they say, hey, I, I'm... I've got an interest in this. I want to be a part of what you're doing. Is there a process that they need to go through to become a field investigator for you? And, and is there 
other things that they need to learn from you before they actually get put out in the field. Absolutely. It's actually quite an involved process. And I wasn't expecting that going in because everybody that is part of MUFON, it's all volunteer. And so we're the largest and, and, um, just all volunteer group for investigating UFOs in the world. And right now we have, let me see, over 4,000 members worldwide. We have 400 certified field investigators across 43 different countries with four of us being here in Oklahoma. And so when someone wants to become a field investigator, they first need to become a member of MUFON. And then they'll go on the website and buy the field investigator manual. And that's kind of our Bible. Um, you've got to read that cover to cover and really dig in and, and get to know the material. It's a lot more than, than what I was expecting for a volunteer position, <laughs> but they want you to know your stuff. And so after you, you buy the, uh, the manual, go through it, you'll take an exam and it's a 100 question exam. You have to pass it with an 80% or better. And you have three attempts to pass it before they cut you off and say, okay, you need to wait six months, look over the material a little more and try again in a while. Uh, if you do pass the exam, then you've also got to pass a background check and then you will have to sign a confidenti confidentiality and a non-disclosure agreement. And after all of that is done, then you get to sign on to MUFON University <laughs> and then you take your college courses, which uh, you'll cover Astronomy 101, Astronomy 201. You'll learn uh, investigative techniques, how to take samples, um, just a whole plethora of things that we need to know as investigators. And once you complete all of that, then you get to be a trainee <laughs> and you get assigned to work with a, a certified investigator. And after you work a few cases, then if the state director sees that you're progressing well, then we'll go ahead and bump you up and you'll be a fully certified field investigator. And even after that, there's still ways to progress uh, as far as moving up the, the ranks of what category you can investigate. So uh, we follow the Valet classification system. And that's based off of Jacques Vallée, who's a really world famous French astronomer and ufologist. And he worked with J. Allen Hynek over at uh, Northwest University in Chicago, a highly respected guy. And he set up a classification system with how to classify the sightings that come in. So we have category one, category two, and category three cases. And whenever you first become a field investigator, you can only do category one cases, which those are just you know, a flyby, a, a light in the sky type of thing. Um, and, and so it leaves no lasting effects or anything like that. With a category two, you get um, where it is leaving a physical effect, like maybe some flattened grass or, or something like that. Uh, poltergeist phenomenon is categorized as a category two. And it also includes the co close encounters of the first kind, uh, which can be seen on the ground or at a dis distance of less than 500 feet. And then category three cases are where you're really getting into the meat of things. It has physical effects. You're having encounters with entities. You're actually getting abducted. There's some kind of lasting physical effect. And, and so it takes a while to work up to those category three cases. But here recently, that's all that we're getting here in Oklahoma. So <laughs> we've been really busy with our category threes. 
Well, and there's a reason that your field investigators go through so much training and have to put forth so much effort. And that's because MUFON has been around for a long time. I think people would be surprised to learn exactly how long they have been around. And they used to produce, and they may still produce it, a publication uh, that came out uh, every month. Yep. And you could flip through and you could go through and you could find out what was going on in, in, in other states and places around the world. But the field investigator is the face-to-face, hands-on person. And correct me if I'm wrong, Mindy, but they really need to know what they're doing when they're speaking to civilians out there who have had some type of an experience. Absolutely. You're right. And, you know, um, MUFON was started in 1969, and it was started after the closing of Project Blue Book when the Condon Report had said, hey, let's close this out. We don't see that UFOs are any kind of threat to national security. You know, the Air Force needs to get out of the business of UFO investigation. And so John Schusler, he was working as a NASA aerospace engineer, and he got together with Walt Andrews, who was with the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization. And they're the ones that that kind of started up MUFON. And they said, let's train up some field investigators who can respond to reports right in their region um, at a moment's notice. And so that that's kind of where MUFON got its start. And um, let's see. Do they still have the publication? They do. It's the MUFON Journal. And whenever you um, sign up for membership, you can either get that in electronic form or they'll send you an email or they can still send you the hard copy, which I get that every month because I enjoy just having the, the magazine there so I can actually read it, you know. Now, I have to admit, a couple of days ago, I went on eBay, okay. and there there is a ton of some of the older ones, and some of the older ones, even into like the early two, you know, and I don't know if they're still pretty plain today, but it's it's a really unique publication, and I was looking at them, and I'm looking at these covers going, okay, I need to buy that one, and I need to buy that one, <laughs> and man, I, I really want that one, and so they're out there. If you were, if someone was interested and they wanted to go back and find some of those older copies, you can certainly do it. But can you just subscribe? Do you know if you can just subscribe to the publication? I don't believe you can. I think you need to in the membership. Need to be a it's member. It's like sixty bucks a year or something. It's really yeah. not that much. And and we are a five hundred one c three nonprofit, so we need that, you know, to keep on going and keep on doing what we're doing. Um, and so it's really not that big of an investment to get the the journal sent to you each month. Yeah. Well, let's dive into some of the work because you mentioned the paranormal side of things. And I know that there's a lot of people out there who just see paranormal or hauntings or ghosts as as just being their own thing. But a lot of ufologists and a lot of people are turning kind of the tide on the belief that there is a connection between the paranormal side and the UFO side. What what have you seen? What have you come across? Well, now you're getting me started. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I'd like to preface this by saying that I'm not saying that all of these entities are the same. You know, ghosts and aliens are not the same. That's not what I'm saying. Yeah. But there are a lot of crossovers that we see within the two phenomenon and even greater, you know, um, other phenomenon as well. And so, okay. A couple of, of abductions that we've had here recently, they were 
reporting invisible humanoids. Okay. So that's kind of, you know, it, what is a ghost? (laughs) You know, is that a kind of invisible looking humanoid? You know, and and so sometimes we'll get reports and, and they're kind of verging on, okay, is this spirit activity or is this alien activity? Um, the abductees will say that they get a creepy feeling like they're being watched. Uh, one said that they could only see the, the apparition or the humanoid whenever they, they could look in the mirror and see the reflection of them. Uh, one described the entities as looking like they were made of cellophane. Uh, and others have said that, you know, the animals alerted on the entities. Um, and, and so there's... It's sometimes hard to distinguish between the two. I got a video sent to me the other day from a longtime experiencer, and he showed where his doors were opening and closing. <laughs> you know, yeah, and, and that would typically be you know spirit activity. You would think people report orbs coming through their homes, uh, disembodied voices, objects disappearing or being moved. All of this sounds like haunting activity, but this is all stuff that is also related to uh, UFO and entity, you know, alien entity as well. So there was a book captured written by Mar- Kathleen Martin, and she is the Florida State MUFON state director. And she's also the head of our experiencer research team. Uh, Kathleen is the niece of Betty and Barney Hill, which I don't know if you're familiar with that abduction case, but they were a very, very famous abduction case from the 60s uh, from the hills over in North uh, in New Hampshire. And they were the first widely reported case here in the U.S. And they were out taking a drive on the way home from a trip and they saw a craft. They stopped the car and pulled over. And that's when they were they had their abduction experience. They were brought aboard the craft. They had experiments run on them. And Betty was actually shown a star map, which was later identified as Zeta Reticuli. And so Kathleen knows her stuff. (laughs) This was her direct aunt and uncle who experienced these things. And so in that book, Kathleen describes how Betty came home from work one time and found a chunk of ice under her newspaper on her kitchen table that had been sitting there all day (laughs) with no explanation. Uh, one time she came home from work um, and the chairs in the front room or the, the kitchen table chairs had been rearranged in a circle into the front room. <laughs> These other times yeah. when she heard her front door open, uh, someone was stomping their feet. They ran upstairs. And so her and Barney went up to check it out and there was no one there. And they went down to check their front door and it was locked. So, you know, again, it, it's things that sound like haunting activity, but it's very much happening to people who are experiencing UFO abduction phenomena as well. And, and as the veil thins, don't you think that we'll start to get more and more of this type of activity, whether it's paranormal uh, UFO or combined, I think the more that, that people are educated about what's going on, the more they'll begin to recognize and notice certain things and I, I think your reports are just going to start going through the roof because, you know, when they make that connection, they're going to need to tell someone right. and, and you're the person to tell. <laughs> right. Well, I hope so. Um, you know, it, there was uh, Ray Hernandez. He's working with the Dr. Edgar, 
the Dr. Edgar Mitchell Free Foundation. Uh, he's actually the co-founder of it. Uh, and Dr. Edgar Mitchell, he was a NASA astronaut. He was the sixth man to walk on the moon. Um, he was on the Apollo 14 missions. And on the way home, he saw the earth out of the little porthole and he had kind of a spiritual awakening. And he realized that everything was kind of based on consciousness. And so whenever he came home, he started the Institute of Noetic Sciences and then subsequently the Dr. Edgar Mitchell Free Foundation. And here a couple of years ago, they did a huge study. It was the first study of its kind where they interviewed experiencers about some of the wider phenomena that may be associated. And let me give you some statistics here. There was over 2,200 people that participated. Um, on one section of the survey, out of 115 or 1,534 people surveyed, 684, which was 47%, responded that they had seen a non-human intelligence in ghost or spirit form here on Earth. So these are abductees, okay? Mm. There were people that are experiencing UFO phenomena. They're saying 47% of them have also seen a spirit. Over 70% or over 70 people saw a human or spirit, a human spirit or ghost while on board a craft. They were on, on board a UFO and saw a human spirit. <laughs> okay, let that sink in. Hmm. Nearly yeah <laughs> yeah that's that's one of those moments where you go okay you're gonna to have to stop for a minute because that is just one of those things where when you hear it you go what? so they're on a they're on a craft wait a minute they're on a craft and they're seeing human type ghosts on a what would potentially be an alien spaceship right. i mean it's just it, it's it, it's it's almost mind-boggling to think that people are actually experiencing this it's right there in front of them and then they they come back and they're they're able to tell the story right uh, and i don't think a lot of people have made that connection yet i mean it's kind of a a new thing that that people are starting to take notice of and ray he kind of breaks it down to the contact modalities is what he calls it um and that includes the ufo phenomena contact with non-human intelligence, near-death experiences, out-of-body experiences, remote viewing, spirit encounters, shamanistic journeys, telepathy, precognition, and ESP. And all of these are ways that we can make contact with non-human entities. And um, it's all laid out there in the, the Beyond UFOs book that they came out with. And they're, they're putting out a new one. And, and I think um, Ray's changed it over to the Consciousness and Contact Research Institute now. And the second book in that series will be coming out and it's called A Greater Reality. That's And it's due out spring of 2021. And that's the one that I wrote the, um, the chapter for that'll be included in there with all of my experiences with the near-death experience and everything too, because uh, I'm a multiple <laughs> experiencer as well. Uh, but all of this kind of breaking um, ideas is based on consciousness and the quantum hologram theory. And a lot of the giants of the, the UFO industry have really started to subscribe to the consciousness theory. It actually um, goes back to the 70s. And are you familiar with John Keel of the Mothman prophecies? Uh, 
Okay. Oh, and then his ultra-terrestrials, Jacques Vallée, who we based our whole system of categorizing UFOs on. He subscribes to the consciousness quantum hologram theory. Dr. Edgar Mitchell, the NASA astronaut. Dr. Rudy Child, who is an astrophysicist at the Harvard-Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics. Grant Cameron, who is a well-known ufologist, and he has always been a nuts and bolts guy. He has now come out as a supporter of the consciousness and quantum hologram theory and uh, the former MUFON director of investigations, Mr. Raymond Fowler. He's also, he just came out with a new book supporting the consciousness and quantum hologram theory. And so what is this? What is consciousness and holo, you know, quantum hologram? It's a bunch of fancy words. Um, basically what we're looking at is, well, let me back up. There is a, there is a, a, uh, article on the CIA website. You can go on to CIA.gov, onto the library, and search for Gateway Process. It's a 29-page document called Analysis and Assessment of the Gateway Process. And this was a study put out by the Department of the Army Intelligence and Security Command, and it was written by Lieutenant Colonel Wayne McDonnell, okay? And, and he, in this, he detailed the techniques that were learned from the Monroe, Monroe Institute to train their soldiers on how to access other dimensions using the gateway process. Okay, stay with me. We're, we're getting into how this relates to you. Okay, <laughs> so uh, it, this document goes on to basically state that matter doesn't exist as we understand it and that everything is basically vibrations. Everything we see is a hologram. These are conclusions within this document, okay? Consciousness is the basic standard form of existence, okay? And so it says we don't have consciousness because we have a brain. We have a brain because our consciousness hallucinates it, okay? <laughs> so the okay. You know, standard scientific view that, you know, Consciousness resides in our brain, you know, that we're conscious because we have a brain is completely opposite of what the CIA document here says that the army has, has come in and said, no, we have a brain because our consciousness has hallucinated this. Um, and so they're saying that there are other dimensions within this realm of consciousness. Consciousness is kind of that what is what reality consists of. Everything we're seeing is a hologram hallucinated by this consciousness. And so we can access other dimensions within the realm of consciousness uh, by using different, um, oh, sound waves and stuff. They have something they called hemisync with different hertz levels. And they would use meditation to facilitate kind of out-of-body experiences. And they were wanting to use this to time travel. Okay. This is what the army application yeah. was for this. And so how this all relates is that all of these different entities are residing in this other dimension, in these other dimensions between us and, and the absolute consciousness. And they're jumping in and out of our realm. And so that's how all of these things are kind of presenting the same way they're, they're coming in and they're almost dawning like an avatar like you would jump into a video game <laughs> and um, you know, you're not actually in the video game, but you're controlling what is in there. And so that's kind of what they're doing right. is they're jumping into our reality and presenting themselves and we can travel to their reality too in an out of body experience. 
near-death experience, anything like that. And so that's where ufology is going right now, is we're looking into consciousness. Uh, you'll hear um, To the Stars has come out and said, you know, it, it reality is a lot more strange than what you have any idea about. And I, I believe that this is probably what they are leaning to. Uh, or what they're alluding to is that it's all based on this consciousness theory. Right. Well, Mindy, I've, I've served in the military and I can tell you, we do a lot of things unconsciously. <laughs> believe me. <laughs> it, it, it's an alternate really uh, reality half the time. Trust me. Um, so let, let, let's dive into some numbers. I know you're probably familiar with the national UFO reporting center. They put out a story in July of 2020, in fact, uh, Fox Oklahoma City picked this story up, where they rated the highest reported UFO sightings per capita by state. And your numbers are probably different or vary from what their numbers are. But they rank Oklahoma the 28th uh, state for um, some type of UFO sighting per capita. Number one was Idaho. Montana came in at two. Uh, Texas was one of the fewest. Uh, Louisiana some of the states that are kind of around us in a way, uh, Mississippi, uh, Georgia, they were down in the bottom bottom half. Um, Wyoming was up in the top 10. These are areas that are in the top 10 that are wide open, big areas, uh, big, big spaces of land. And Oklahoma kind of fits into that category. And I was a little surprised that they ranked them, uh, that they ranked Oklahoma at 28. What are you guys seeing as far as the numbers and just reporting that, cases. That's actually pretty spot on with what we see as well. We normally are, oh, about the bottom third. <laughs> you know? And I, I think that um, Oklahomans are starting to come around to reporting UFOs. I think for a while it was kind of looked at as being kind of silly, you know, um, uh, you know, the classic sure. flying saucer and, you know, the government had come out and said, oh, you know, UFOs aren't real and, you know, don't worry about it. And so we've kind of hung on to that. But I think people are starting to wake up to the thought that, OK, well, there really is something to it because, you know, the government's been looking into this. We have ATIP now that we know about um, the Advanced Aerospace uh, Threat Identification Program, which um, was led by Luis Elizondo. Um, and then after it ended, the Department of Defense declassified it, uh, the U.S. Navy video showing the UAPs. And so we had the Nimitz video, we had the Gimbal video and the Go Fast, and all of those were taken, taken over uh, from jets aboard the nuclear aircraft carriers. And from that, here comes out uh, the Department of Defense saying these are real. <laughs> and so... Now we've formed the UAP task force, which, you know, people are wanting answers from them looking in again to the UFO phenomena. So uh, again, it's just confirming right. that these things are real. They're out there. The government's aware of it. Um, and as far as we know, they're not any kind of threat, but they're looking at it again to see, you know, just to make sure that there's no threat from them. But if they're as advanced as what they present to be, you know, they could have taken us out a long time ago and, and we haven't seen that yet. So. Sure. Sure. And, and UAP being the, the new way to describe uh, UFOs. I, I, I say new, they've been saying UAP now for, 
for a little while. But let me ask you something, because you did bring up the Nimitz and the videos that the Department of Defense and the Department of the Navy released. Uh, the pilots have gone on and they've done interview after interview about it. When they had the classic cigar, you know, now they call it a Tic Tac, the classic video of that uh, vessel flying through the air and the pilot's report of trying to chase it down and how fast it was going. Why wasn't that the nation's aha moment when they saw that video? <laughs> you know, I, I have no idea. <laughs> it, it's literally stunned me that I guess maybe it was buried within the pandemic and people just we're like, huh, okay, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe people were already expecting it that, you know, they already believed that UFOs were real. So it wasn't any big deal to them, but it's huge, huge news for us. Um, in fact, I posted a deal on our Facebook page a couple of weeks ago, um, kind of alluding to just making fun of the fact that, you know, society was just like, meh, whatever. <laughs> so. Right. And it's, it's kind of mind boggling because, you know, I think we live in an age where there's so many news sources out there that we almost have gotten to the point where now we don't trust mainstream media anymore. We, we, we believe that they're all, you know, kind of in bed together and it's all, you know, the, the news saying now is fake news. I'm doing uh -huh. the air quotes, fake news. And and so now we're we're dependent on other resources for our news. And then when something like this comes out. Because we know the technology exists for them to make that video. When we see it, we almost think, oh, well, that's got to be mm -hmm. fake, right? That's got somebody made that somebody produced that. But what's different about what we've been seeing and what we saw earlier in the spring was when the Department of Defense comes out. And like I said, I've, I've been in that department. They don't come out lightly, so they're not going to kind of tiptoe around and say, well, that was leaked and, you know, we're not sure. They came out strong this time and they said, listen, this was not from this planet. It moved in ways that we cannot move, that even a human being pilot could not withstand the speed and the turns and the, and the things that it was doing. So it's got to be from somewhere else. And if it's from someplace on this planet, then we need to know what country is responsible for it, because that was something that we cannot compete with. And, and, I'm sitting there looking around going, how come everybody is not talking about this? And it was just kind of one of those moments where I felt like I was kind of the only person in the room that was getting the broadcast and no one else was was hearing what I was hearing. So, you know, I I think we're at a point in society where we've just kind of accepted. Yeah, yeah, there's probably something out there mathematically, you know, the universe and the galaxy. And, you know, it's all so big and vast. And, you know, there's probably something out there. But it would have done something to us or we would have found out by now. But if we see something, eh, it's not that big of a deal because we really don't have any contact. But I think what you guys are doing at MUFON and I think what other organizations are doing is that you're really beginning to open up the general public's eye. Oklahoma is a very mm -hmm. conservative state, as you know, and yet you're seeing more and more people come forward. And I think that's a very positive thing because in this state, like you said, you know, they might just laugh it off or, or blow it off and say, well, you know, I don't know what it was. Maybe it was a satellite or, you know, maybe that, uh, you know, maybe that was a, a train light that I saw or something. And but now they're taking it serious. And I think it's because of some of the work yeah, that you guys are doing. You know, some of the um, witnesses that we get, I mean, these aren't just 
anybody. You know, we're getting police officers, we're getting lawyers, we're getting astronomers, we're getting um, any number of people with big credentials behind them, um, well-known people in the community <laughs> that that are seeing things. And after you know full investigation, they're still turning up to be unidentified. Um, and, and we do a very thorough job when we do a, an investigation. There are several different points of things that we check. We look at um, like Google Maps. We'll look at the street view and try to get an idea of where they were standing and which direction they were looking. We'll pull up um, the historical weather values, the temperature, dew point, wind direction, uh, visibility, all of that, that that was present during that, that sighting time. Uh, we'll pull up Stellarium. We'll look at the position of any of the celestial bodies, um, stars, planets. We'll look at the phase and illumination of the moon. Uh, we'll look for fireball reports in, uh, at the time. Uh, heavens above, we'll look at that to locate any kind of rockets. We'll see where the ISS was. We'll look at any satellites uh, that may have been over. And then we'll also do a full photo analysis if anything is, is submitted that way as well. And so there's several different things. We, we pretty much try to recreate the night sky as it was during the sighting or day sky. Sometimes there's daytime sightings as well, uh, but most of them are at night. Right. And then um, for category three cases, we'll actually go and, and visit the site. And um, there's been a couple of, of category ones where I've actually met up with the witnesses because they're ongoing cases where it's they're more of experiencers rather than just a one-time sighting. And so for that kind of thing, I normally try to go out and meet up with the people too. But um, I mean, our investigators are, are very thorough in, in what we do and we take it seriously. Uh, we have several different dispositions and those would be like, you know, if someone put in a hoax or if something was information only, um, which that'd be like, oh, I saw something right. on the news. We had one not a couple of years back where there was like a meteor that flew by in the background. I think it was on Channel 5. And, they, you know, everyone's calling in about that. And, and so since that wasn't a firsthand account, those would have been closed as information only. Um, and then the main ones are the unknown UAV and unknown other. But we have 90, 90 to 95% of them we identify. And <laughs> I don't, that's one of the things I don't want to ever hurt people's feelings because people are like, man, you know, I know what I saw, but, and yeah, you do, but, you know, sometimes we're able to identify things. Uh, and a lot of times they are planets, um, bugs, satellites. Uh, this last year, we have seen an amazing amount of reports of the SpaceX satellites um <laughs> and yes. on the website they actually had to change it to where people actually have to look at a picture of the spacex satellites in a line and say okay this is not what i saw before they can file a report because we were getting so many in um that it was becoming burdensome on on the system and so um, those have kind of died out. I think people now know, okay, oh, those are the, the Starlink satellites going over. And there's actually a website you can go on um, for Starlink uh, tracker. And you can find out exactly when they're going to be flying over and you can go out and, and watch them. And that's kind of a cool thing to do if you've never done it. <laughs> um, we've taken our family out a few times uh, and, and sat up and, you know, got our chairs out and watched the show as they passed over. So that's... Right. 
Yeah, no, and and you mentioned SpaceX. In fact, I think they were supposed to launch more satellites tonight. Um, I'm not sure if the uh, the launch went went off. Uh, I know they had postponed it for two days. Uh, they had two attempts, couldn't get them off, and then they were going to go tonight. But our time is flying by, so I, and I have so much to cover with you. So okay. I want to jump into something else real quick. We, we o- Oklahoma is a military state. I mean, we have we have five installations. Uh, Tinker Air Force Base in Midwest City, Vance Air Force Base in Enid, Altus Air Force Base in Altus. Um, there's Fort Fort Sill in Lawton, uh, the McAllister Army Ammunition Plant in McAllister. There are two Air Guard bases, one in Tulsa, one in Oklahoma City, both at the international airports. There's multiple reserve centers around the state. There's the 45th and uh, Mustang in Norman. Um, the Army has a Black Hawk base in um, Tulsa, just near near Owasso, Oklahoma. My point is, a lot of times we do get reports, and I'm sure you're familiar with this. Uh, a lot of reports come in around military installations, and it could be that they're flying something that uh, is, is unknown and it looks different. And so reports come in, or it could be something else. I know there's a lot of activity around the Lawton area and Fort Sill, which is a army training base. There's a lot of uh, basic trainees that are there. There's Marines that are on that base. And it's a very, very big base right there at the foot of the Wichita mountains. What are some of the things that you've seen out of oh, that goodness. area? You know, I, that was something I was not prepared for whenever I became an investigator. I, our hot spots here in the state are obviously Oklahoma city, Tulsa, and then Lawton. Um, I was not expecting Lawton to get as many reports as they do. Um, that area, they're almost on track with how many we get here in Oklahoma City. And the majority of reports that we get from those places are spheres and, and the black triangles. The um, triangles, we get quite a bit of, of reports of them over our, our state. Uh, Lawton is also a hot spot for dogman reports. And there's a, a guy that I talked to quite a bit that's down there um, that investigates all the dogman sightings in that area. And um, unsure if that's related to like a skinwalker type thing, but it's a possibility. Um, trying to think, oh, the, down there right now is the cattle mutilations is what we're seeing. And uh, this year there was a rash of attacks. There was up in Tulsa, there was uh, cattle that were shot with a bow and arrow. Up in Enid, there was cattle getting shot with a gun. And down in South Central Oklahoma, we're seeing cattle being let out of their enclosures repeatedly. And so there you know, obvious human attacks on, on these cattle. But then here came up this one. It was um, in October of 2020. So, I mean, just here recently in Lawton, um, there was a rancher down there who reported two newborn calves that had been uh, mutilated. Their tongues, hearts, genitals, and anus were all cut out. Uh, they were both draw, uh, drained of blood. They had surgical-like incisions on them. And the rancher was offering $2,500 uh, cash reward for anybody that could, you know, explain what had happened or bring up the suspects on it. And that's still unclaimed. Uh, we looked into this. One of our investigators is actually from the Lawton area. And so he contacted the, the rancher because he had remember, said, hey, call me if you have any ideas on this. And we we're like, hey, we have some ideas. And so our investigator called him and, and he actually answered back and, and said, you know, yeah, there's 
bugs starting to get on it. We didn't see any blood at the site, you know, and just kind of confirmed some of the things that, that we had thought. And by the next day, he was supposed to set up to meet our investigator face to face. He cut off all communication after that. Uh, we had been talking with Chuck Zukowski from Cha Travel Channel's Alien Highway, and he's been consulting on this case because he kind of specializes in cattle mutilations. And he had tried to contact the, the rancher as well and got the same, same answer was, you know, I'm not talking to anybody at this point. Um, and so Chuck had linked it back to a mutilation at a ranch in Colorado there within the, a few days. And he said that he's, he's seen that pattern before where it'll come from west to east, kind of uh, one after another like that. And so, it, you know, we don't have any answers on that now. Uh, the Comanche Ca County Sheriff in one of the reports said that they, uh, they see reports like this about two times a year. And the last one was in June. And I looked back through um, news reports and I saw that there was one in Fletcher in January 2019 at another ranch. And it was a pregnant cow that was killed there. And so that's there in Comanche County again. Uh, and with that one, the uterus, milk bag, and right ear were all removed. Uh, and so it, it's kind of the same MO. Uh, but it looks like even back in the 70s, New York Times, <clears throat> excuse me, they were reporting cattle mutilations between Oklahoma and Texas. And they had said that there were over 50 mutilations across 12 different counties between Oklahoma and Texas back in 75. And back then, of course, they were attributing it to the work of cults. And there's still some of that that mindset around. And so I don't know if that's kind of what's permeating the area down there in Lawton, if they're still thinking that it's some kind of satanic cult that's doing this or what, but um, I mean, that area is seeing a lot of, of activity as far as mutilations. Right. So here's, so here is my impression on <clears throat> this cattle mutilation that is going on all over the country. Um, you mentioned the, the surgical type of cut. You mentioned the removal of certain organs. You mentioned the uh, lack of blood on the scene. Those are all things that are very, very common in a lot of these cases that we're seeing all over the country. Now, I've uh, been a hunter my whole life, and I know what it's like to, to gut an animal, and I can tell you that it is a bloody mess. It is something that you know going in that you are going to be covered in blood. It's just, it's just going to be part of it. So when I hear people say occult, I can see it if we were seeing a messy type of situation where there are parts everywhere, you know, there's a mess, there's obvious human activity around the cow. Um, and same thing with a predator. Because a lot of people will say, well, there's wolves in the area or there's coyotes or there's, you know, other animals, mountain lions that could attack and take down uh, an animal that size. I agree. There are. The problem is I have not seen one animal make a surgical cut and take all the blood from the scene and walk away from the animal. They don't do that. That's a kill. That's their food for the next two weeks. And, and so it's, it's, it's nowhere near what we're seeing as far as the way these animals are treated and handled. So when you get a call or when you hear of a report 
where does your head go when you when you hear cattle mutilation? Do you immediately think, okay, what was the scene? What did it look like? Did they take pictures? Who was around at the time? How long was it before they found the animal? Because there are obviously factors that go into Absolutely. the decomposition. And, and I'm of actually animals. married to a farmer, or he grew up on a farm, <laughs> so and we lived on a farm for a while. So I, I'm very aware of you know decomposition and and how cattle. Uh, decompose uh, but um, we see the same kind of things happen over and over with these these cases where it's the sex organs that are removed it's the eyes and the tongue that are removed and and like you said it's the draining of the blood I mean not a drop of blood in fact there is a video that Chuck had sent me and it was a deer that was caught on a trail cam. I've got to, I'll send that to you after this. <laughs> it's amazing. There is, because we see it sometimes in wild animals as well. And this deer is walking and it's missing its whole backstab. And it's cut open. I mean, you wow. can literally see the spine and the organs. And this thing's up walking around like it's nothing. And not a drop of blood is spilling off of this thing. And you tell me what can do that. That this was not a wild animal that did yeah. this to this poor deer, and it was the fact that it, it was walking around acting like it wasn't in any kind of pain or anything. <laughs> well, and I'm and I'm sure you know this too. I'm no doctor, I'm no vet, but to me, when you make a cut like yeah. that, you would have to have a way to cauterize it at the same time, and and that would seal off, you know, the flow of blood. And that is a very, very technical thing to do. You can't just order something from a from a, a, a site online and then just walk out to a field in the dark and know how to use it. I mean, it's just it's obviously something that I think more attention needs to be paid to because whatever is doing it, I think we need to learn what it is and then either learn how to stop it because cattle are expensive, yeah. as you know. I mean, that's not a cheap animal. And, uh, you know, for these farmers, that's their that's truly their lifeblood sometimes. So I think more more attention needs to be put towards that. Let me ask you something else, um, because we're we're getting close on time and I want to get as much in as possible. There th there have been multiple reports and you probably know this better than I. I'm just I'm just picking them off the Internet. But um, I know that uh, earlier in October, there was a report in Ponca City um, that they saw a Pentagon formation uh, followed by a huge vapor trail behind it. Uh, there's nothing in the, in the air force or in the Navy or in the army that is that type of a shape flying through the air right now. Uh, that was in Ponca city uh, in Tulsa, early October, uh, early one morning, there was uh, uh, some circular lights. Uh, they thought at first it was the international space station um, as the lights got closer, though, they realized that they weren't staying in the spot that they were in. They were kind of moving towards the people who were witnessing this stuff. Um, at Yukon, uh, there were some yellow lights in a tree line. Uh, they thought it was an airplane or some type of a craft like that uh, that was flying through, maybe a drone. Um, turned out that the, that they moved very intelligently and then just kind of disappeared in the night sky. Um, when when people are seeing this type of stuff go on. What is your recommendation and how they, they record it or how they make note of it? Because you may see something at 10 o'clock at night, 
you may wonder what, what, what was that? You go inside, you go to bed, you get up the next morning, it's still bugging you. You might uh, text somebody or you might say something about it. But in that moment, because these moments sometimes don't last very long. Some of them do, but some of them are just seconds. In that moment, what should they be looking for? What should they be doing? So that they get a really good perspective and idea okay, so well, as to what it is. That of course, seeing. the first obvious thing is to pull out your camera <laughs> and take a great picture. Try to steady it as much as possible yes. because any little movement with a little pinpoint light in the sky is going to make it look like a streak. Uh, so try to, to steady the camera, video it if you can, snap off a couple pictures if you can. Don't use any kind of filter on it. Don't use any kind of app to take the picture, just your plain camera, you know, phone app will do. Because whenever you start using different filters and stuff, it starts bringing down the credibility. Uh, that's something we don't like to see because we will analyze the, the picture and see if you've put anything on it. Um, so that number one, take a picture. Number two, we're going to ask a series of questions. We're going to know, uh, we're going to want to know what direction in the sky you first saw it the direction of in the sky that you last saw it and uh, what you were doing just prior to it. Were you out actually, you know, sky watching or were you out taking the dog out or, you know, before you went to bed? Uh, so we're going to want to know, you know, what you were doing um, any kind of lights that you see on it, any kind of emissions. We're going to want to know about any sound that came from it. We're going to want to know the elevation off of the horizon, how high up it was. Um, and those are some of the basic questions we're going to ask to help us better zone in on, on what it was you saw. Uh, if there's no picture available, we're going to be able to then look through all of those different programs, like I was mentioning earlier, to be able to zone in exactly where that was. And, and if you did see something unexplained, that's going to work to your advantage, because then we're going to be able to say it was not the ISS. Okay, there was no satellites in the sky in that area at that time. There were no planes in the area at that time. Flight Radar 24 is one we check uh, to see where any helicopters are, any you know commercial airplanes, anything like that. And so if we're able to rule all of those out, then it just brings more and more credibility to your case. We do close a case as unknown. You know that we've ruled out as much as possible. So when they have this experience and they can grab their phone, get that phone out. And one of the things that I just from military training, one of the things that that I know we do is we immediately begin to to report as to what we are seeing instead of going, you know, holy crap, look at the, you know, and get, get all excited, you know. And, and, and the camera's moving everywhere and it's panning to the ground and back to the sky and, you know. Just calm down, get your phone out, take the pictures. If you are on video, then start calling out what's going on and what you're seeing and the direction you're looking and all of those things, like Mindy said, because here's the thing. If the public can be educated as to the proper way to record these things and the proper way to document it, then it's only going to add to the credibility moving forward. And the, the easier it is for anyone to come in and, and do that investigation for them. Right. I mean, that's one of the things that, that is probably the most uh, um, 
frustrating part about your job is that they they have a, a fuzzy, blurry photo or they didn't quite, you know, they were playing with the phone and they were trying to zoom in and zoom out and all this other different stuff. And if they had just been still and taken the photo or taken the video and, and, and just calmly, you know, talked about where they are and what they were doing, your investigation could probably potentially uh, have much more fruits of Absolutely. your labor based on <laughs> just what they're doing. Um, and that's the thing that they can do for us. It's just steady so that, the, the camera if at all possible. In fact, you see like the memes where people are like, you know, get the worst camera available, you know, take a picture of this UFO or, you know. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that, that absolutely helps yeah. to have a good, clear picture because then we can go in later and kind of lighten it and see if we can see any structure or we can zoom in. Uh, and, and, you know, there's a case that I had last year from Midwest city. And uh, I would say it's probably one of our top cases. And I just sp spoke to this woman again yesterday because they have continuing uh, activity still, and they're right there by Tinker. And when they initially had contacted us with that first case, uh, she had a wonderful video and it just looked like a little dot, but I was able to go in and zoom in on it. And you can tell that it's a triangle craft and it has, Oh, kind of like, and she, she described it as molten mercury dripping off of it. And this is something we've actually heard on, on a few different cases where it looks like stuff is kind of dripping off. And, um, I'm sorry, I'm losing my train of thought here. I'm getting a phone call. Oh, you're fine. You're fine. So Midwest right. City, obviously, right there by Tinker Air Force Base. And whatever whatever she's filming, you know, even at, even at a distance, you're able to take that film and you're able to use it and to zoom in on your own equipment and, and get a better picture as to what she's shooting. But you couldn't have done that if she was all over the place. Absolutely. The she was steady, and, and the thing with that case that. is that it's lining up with some of these other cases that we're hearing about craft flying a grid-like pattern around bases. And so it's been speculated that maybe they're trying to map underground tunnels around bases. Um, you would know more about that coming from the military background, but um, uh, that's just kind of the speculation on the subject. But that's the same thing that they were filming was, you know, something flying a grid pattern there right around the base. And they're seeing an uptick in activity again. In fact, the last three days, I have been contacted by every experiencer that I stay in contact with about some kind of activity that has happened in the last three days. So something's been going on. Well, uh, maybe that's <laughs> not something I can discuss at this time. Um, so, so we'll just we'll just move on from the. No, I'm 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 kidding, obviously, but. Uh, before I before I let you go and listen, we're going to have to do this again because this hour literally flew by. Um, give me one of your cases that either is from the past or something you're currently working on. Give me one of your cases that uh, the public needs to hear. People need to know it's a, or it's an interesting case or it's something that shocked you about the case. Give me something that was, you know, definitely if you right. were writing a book, um, this one would this have This weekend, chapter. we were actually on location in Velma, Oklahoma. And I cannot give you any more information other than what was reported by the witness because it's an open, active investigation right now. But I'll just read off his exact statement to you and, and you can draw your own conclusions. But this is a pretty awesome case that we're doing right now. 
So here's his statement. Uh, Velva, Oklahoma, 2008. I witnessed an object come from space to Earth. It ejected a rock-like material after performing a braking maneuver. I collected this material and I viewed it under a 3D microscope. This material is unlike anything I can find other than resembling computer animations of cosmology. I, the object itself moved slowly off towards the horizon after ejecting the material. I later learned that this object clipped a large communications tower. Also, the ejected material knocked the tops off underlying trees as well as requiring the moving of a service road due to truck-sized boulders that have dropped into the existing one. That was his statement. So something was ejected from this craft that wow. he witnessed. And that this is a case to keep an eye on. Um, there's, there's things actively happening with this case. And I know it happened back in 2000. Um, I'm sure we were the talk of the town. <laughs> but um, but it, it's an exciting case for sure. <laughs> and I'm... I'm excited to get to the conclusion of this case. So th that should be coming up shortly, maybe by the next time we speak. Well, uh, Mindy, I can tell you why the craft chose Velma. You know, ah. their, their high school mascot <laughs> is the Comets. So there you go. See, that they're, they're obviously, the alien was obviously a sports fan and said, well, what better place than, than Velma, the Velma Alma Comets? That's where I'm going. Yeah, absolutely. So listen, if if people want to know more about what you're doing, how absolutely. To get a hold of okay. You or how to get a hold to of MUFON, you, you can them? go to www.mufon.com and on the the website there you can become a member, you can report a UFO. Um if you want to report a UFO, you can find my phone number very easily on the Facebook page, but don't call me <laughs> because I cannot file the official report. You're going to have to do that through the website. <laughs> Um, and they're also actively working on a new website, which will be MUFON.org. On Facebook, you can find us at, at Oklahoma MUFON. Um, Excellent. And, and that's it for right now. Um, next year, we'll have the symposium coming up, and we can talk about that all at a, another time. Well, you've been a great guest, Mindy. And I tell you what, we're going to do this again real soon. I want updates on the case out of Velma. Uh, keep me keep me informed on that one. I'll update the listeners as you go along, and then we'll have you back on. You can throw in some 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 new material. We can discuss some other things, some other topics that we didn't get to tonight. I'm so excited that you were able to come on with us tonight on a stormy night. Uh, ha happy Thanksgiving, everyone! It's, it's Thanksgiving week. Um, be sure to uh, to check us out. We are on Facebook. You can follow us, Oklahoma. Ghost stories, another phenomenon, real easy to find. Um, we're also on uh, other podcast services from uh, Google Podcast, Breaker to Spotify, and of course, anchorfm.com. You want to go there, uh, like us, uh, share the, the uh, broadcast with whoever you want to share it with. I noticed Northwest Arkansas yeah. MUFON. A shout out to them because they were sharing the fact that you were going to come on tonight. So uh, we might even have to have them on one night as well. Uh, Mindy Top Fest with Moose. Uh, well, Move thank on. you, Brad. Mindy, I appreciate so you having me. You made time tonight. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Again, my name is Brad Heath. It's Oklahoma Ghost Stories, another phenomenon. Tune in to our Facebook page for more updates on when the next podcast 
will be available. We're shooting for next Tuesday. We've got a, a couple in South Tulsa who has been ex- experiencing some things in their house that I think you will find extremely interesting. Thank you, everyone.